Away Home is written by Olivia Hope and was commissioned by Shim Satira with the support of the Irish Arts Council and Children's Books Ireland. It was the time of year when trees are gold and the sun hangs low in the sky. Perched between a patchwork of bare fields and Quilta Nakilta, the forest of the lost, stood the village of Inishray. That Samhain Eve, in her granny's cottage, Leisha sat by the kitchen table while her grandmother crimped the pastry edge of yet another apple tart. Why do we need so much food tonight, granny? Leisha asked, playing with some leftover pastry. It'll only be us, ma'am and dad. More for me, then. Leisha's older brother, Garvin, cried, looking up from the turnip he was carving into the twisted face of a jack-o'-lantern. It's for all the family, Granny said, nodding to the old photos on the wall. From the oven, she pulled out a loaf of barn brack and quickly popping the pale apple tart into bake. She wrapped the warm brack in a tea towel and placed it beside the rounds of bread and other apple tarts that cooled in the window. Not just the family we see, it's those we can't see also. We have to remember them too, she reminded. Leisha frowned. You mean the lost souls, don't you? Granny nodded. Leisha didn't like Sarwin. The food was a proper treat, but the rest of it was awful. Banshees, ghosts and poopers scared her. And dressing up was a chore. It was the darkest time of the year and Leisha hated it all. She would have been perfectly happy to just eat her apple tart by the fire and ignore all chats about spirits from the other world. As if Granny could read her mind, she said, And doesn't every soul deserve a bit of apple tart? Something sweet that tastes of home. If I was a ghost and I smelled Granny Peg's breaking, I'd be knocking at the window to get in, said Garvin, hopping to his feet and teasing Leisha with the ghoulish turnip head. Get off! Leisha cried. Garvin, it's not ghosts. It's family. Granny scolded. Leisha stuck her tongue out at Garvin. Garvin pulled a face. Leisha looked at all the harvest food that Granny had prepared. The house was filled with a delicious perfume of baking and spice, and still Leisha worried. Why would you want to invite ghosts in, even if they were relatives? Fruit, bread, cannon, all save us all. With all my cooking and baking, I totally forgot. Throwing her hands in the air, Granny grabbed a small wicker basket from behind the cottage door and pressed it into Leisha's hands. Quick, quick, head to the brambles and gather me some berries and nuts before it gets too dark. Garvin, be a good boy and mind your sister. But Granny, we have loads of food here. Oh, do I have to go with her? No excuses, Garvin O'Shea. The sooner you go, the sooner you return. And for heaven's sake, don't be wandering into Crete and Akaita. She glanced at the photos on the wall. Not tonight, anyway. She said, handing the children their coats and scarves. Why? Leisha stopped to ask, but Granny was already shushing the children out the door into the low light of the autumn evening. Under their boots, dry leaves crunched like paper while their breaths hung like tiny clouds in the cool air as they made their way up from the cottage to the brambles, a huge hedge full of fat-glistening blackberries that ran alongside Quilta Nakilta. Beyond the tangled briars were yellow hazelnut trees studded with wood-brown nuts. Garvin stomped ahead, 
while Leisha tried to keep up with his long strides, her eyes flitting at every tree that rustled and every shadow that moved. Scaredy cat! Garvin teased when Leisha jumped at a barn owl screeching overhead. But it wasn't just the shadows of the forest or the screeching of the owl that worried Leisha. There were eyes on her and Garvin. She was sure of it. At one point, she could have sworn she caught a glimpse of a face in the woods, but it was just the white trunk of a silver birch. Still, she couldn't quite shake the feeling that the trees were watching her as they stopped by the brambles. The basket was only small, and Leisha breathed a quick sigh of relief. At least this was a quick job to do. Soon enough, she and Garvin would be on their way back to Granny's cottage, she hoped. Leisha pulled at the shiniest of midnight purple berries, just soft to her touch. She moved quickly, the berries falling from her fingertips into the basket, eating handfuls of the sweet fruit at the same time. She peered in. The basket was more than halfway full already. Surely that was enough for Granny. Catch! Called Garvin, sending one, two, then three hazelnuts through the air, each plopping perfectly into the basket where she stood. She huffed at him and turned to pick some more berries for the basket, and herself too. Oh, a hat-trick! He cheered himself on. Good shot! Came a man's voice from the other side of the bramble hedge. Leisha jerked around, pulling the basket close to her. Who are you? She asked, wiping the purple juice from her mouth. The white-haired man did not reply. Uh, thanks, I think? Said Garvin, eyeing the stranger dropping some more hazelnuts into the basket, then moving in front of Leisha protectively. Although he looked old, he stood as big as a door. Perhaps he was some sort of traveller, Leisha thought, judging by the worn brown boots, the frayed leather bag across his back, and the stiff, faded coat that seemed to hold him together. His short white beard was cut tight to his square jaw. What do you want? Leisha asked. A little braver now from behind Garvin. I'm looking for O'Shea's, he said, offering a handful of hazelnuts to her. Then he smiled, and it went right up from his teeth into the wrinkles around his eyes. Down at the far end of Inishray. We live down there, Garvin. Shh, Leisha. Who's asking for her? I'm a relation of theirs, although it looks a bit different since I was last here. I wondered, is there a family still in Orchard Cottage? Granny is there. Leisha burst out without thinking, and Garvin elbowed her. Her house has loads of apple trees in the back garden. Your granny? Well, in that case, we're related. I must be your great-granduncle or a third cousin or something of the sort. Michael O'Shea. Call me old Mike. Pleased to meet you. He energetically shook their hands one at a time, then slipped the weathered bag off his shoulder and reached into it. Leisha studied the man's face. If she looked at his face close enough, she supposed he did look a little like Granny. He was familiar in a way. Where had she seen him before? For you, he said, offering Garvin a neat penknife. Cool, Garvin said, flicking the blade open and shut. And something for the girl who asked so many questions. He opened his rough hand, and there in the palm was a small, polished wooden object. What is it? Leisha said taking it cautiously and feeling the cool smoothness of the round ball. Then she felt the tiny wooden leaf at one end. An apple? A wooden puzzle ball, yes, in the shape of an apple. Something from on my travels. Perhaps you will solve it, Leisha. 
I'm sure you have the key if you look deep inside. He winked. Thanks, Leisha said politely, turning it over in her hands. This is quite old and has some history, so don't lose it, Leisha. I won't. And she carefully secreted it deep inside a coat pocket. Very good. I'll be on my way home, so it'll be a grand night tonight. Plenty of stories, music and food, I'm sure. And Mike put the bag across his back again and turned to Inish Ray. Well, are you two coming? Leisha moved to go with him, but Garvin held her back by the shoulder. We have some more berries to pick, don't we, Leisha? He eyeballed her with a hard stare. Leisha peeked into the basket. It was almost full, but she realized Garvin was probably keeping her from walking with a stranger. So she took a step back. Old Mike lifted a hand in apology. Fair enough. Don't be out too much longer. There's something in the air. I don't know if it's the lost souls or just the magic, but tonight's the perfect time for a Pookaborn to get up to mischief. Pookaborn? I never heard of a white Pooka. Everyone knows a Pooka has dark fur, so they hide better in the shadows. Old Mike laughed. A white Pooka is the rarest of all. They move between this world and the next with ease, bringing people on travels, whether they like it or not. Not a good night to get lost in this world, or the next. Leisha reached for Garvin's hand and squeezed it. We'll be grand, and we'll be home soon. Old Mike dipped his head to Garvin. Very good. I'll see you there, then. And with that, he ambled down the hill to Granny's cottage, disappearing into the shadows almost as quickly as he had appeared. Alicia, you can't go off with someone you don't know. Don't you know anything? But he knew Granny's house. If he knows her, then he'll be there when we get back. We can wait. Come on, let's fill the basket. Alicia went quiet. There was something familiar about that old man. She just couldn't figure what that was. The children silently plucked the berries and nuts in the dim evening light. Once the basket was full to the brim, they made their way down the hill under the shadows that clawed across the path. Below them, the village of Inishray was blanketed in a slow-moving river of fog that rose up the hill to the woods. Leisha shivered. Can we hurry back? Garvin dashed ahead, but nipped behind a tree and then pounced out shouting, Ah! I'm the Pooka Vaughan. Beware! At first, Leisha gasped, but when she saw Garvin crossing his eyes and wiggling his arms, she laughed so much she nearly dropped the basket. He carried on hopping and skipping ahead into the mist that rose. Ah, Garvin, stop it, she said, quickening her pace, while her brother ran in and out of the trees that edged Quilter and Akilta. Please, can we get away from here now? It's too dark. I'm the Pooka Bon, he called from behind Arnaldo. I'm the Pooka Bon. Enough, Garvin, I want to go home. But Garvin didn't reply. Leisha waited before calling again. Garvin? A knot in her stomach told her that getting help was the right thing to do, and she might have done that had the mist not blossomed thick and grey around her. The greyness made everything lose its colour, and the trail itself vanished under her feet. She took an anxious step forward, hoping the air might clear, that she might see something she recognised, but instead the world around her changed. The mist flowed around her feet and she shivered. The forest of bone-white trees stood stock still in the cold haze. Nothing looked the same as before. Where was the path from here? Where was Garvin? Garvin! She shouted at the top of her voice, but there wasn't a sound. I know where he is. A low voice creaked slowly from the bony branches of a hawthorn hedge. 
The basket slipped from Leisha's fingers and fell to the ground. She knew straight away. A puka. The glassy gold eyes, the sharp ears, and of course, the ice-white fur. Here was no creature of this earth, although it almost had the appearance of a white fox. A white fox that was somehow in Inish Ray and just happened to be speaking to her. The puka barn spoke again. Are you wanting to fight him? Or will you be leaving him here? I, I... Leisha wanted to run, but was stuck in frozen horror. What awfulness might the puka barn have planned for Garvin? Hadn't old Mike warned about their magic and mischief? The puka barn rolled his eyes. Oh, we have a right one here. No matter, I'll wait for your words to appear. Never mind that the banshees have him. It sat neatly by Leisha's feet, curling the thick white brush around itself, and then began to lick its paw. Banshees? What do they want Garvin for? Ah, she speaks. You humans have power. Not magic itself, you understand. But humans are alive and can move things. Unlike spirits, we tend to pass through things. And it waved a paw straight into and out the other side of a moss-covered rock. Leisha's eyes widened. I still don't understand what Garvin can do for the Banshees. It's quite simple. Eki needs opening. Listen, this would be so much easier if you followed me. It took off into the depths of Quilta and the Kilta, the mists parting as it moved. Well? What if you only want to bring me to the Banshees? The Pukabar looked back over its shoulder. You know you can trust me, but only you can decide if you want Around Leisha, the forest was a swirl of silver mists where the ghost trees began to sway and shards of frost crystallized on leaves and branches. She never felt so alone, and yet there were eyes on her again, just like earlier. Only this time she saw them more clearly. Eyes that blinked from the tree nuts and faces that dissolved in the freezing fog. Leisha shoved her hands into her coat, her fingers anxiously playing with the wooden apple. She thought about what the Pukaban said, and Leisha slowly stepped towards it. Treading cautiously at first, Leisha tried to remember the path they took, through tall, twisted oaks, past a clutch of boulders, and up a steep slope to a mountain brook that wailed a gurgling song of warning. But the puka barn was building speed, rushing and desperate, its paws barely touching the whitening moss underfoot, while Leisha stumbled after. More and more ethereal figures from the mist followed Leisha and the puka barn as the air grew icy cold. Now there were ghost-like animals too. Eagles and owls flew overhead, and animals from ancient Ireland ran alongside. Huge antlered elk, slinking wolves and wild deerhounds their feet inches above the earth, passing silently through the trees and mist like shadows. There was an energy in these spirits, like they all needed to make the journey with Leisha and the Pukobar. The more sure-footed Leisha grew with every stride, the more that her fear slipped away into the magical mist. Instead of chasing, she pushed herself to keep pace with the ghost fox, although she half wondered if she was right to trust the Pukobar at all. The Pukaban stopped to sniff at the air on a rocky incline by a waterfall. Leisha grabbed at a rock, panting. What is this gate? She said breathlessly. The Pukaban laughed. Child, it's what any gate is, 
An opening in a wall or a fence. Mocking isn't nice. Leisha glared. Why make such an effort if it's just a gate? The puka lifted a white paw up in apology. Do you ever wonder why sound matters? Leisha shook her head. It's the darkest time of the year, and yet you folk cling to your tiny light. That means lost souls can be seen. Well, some of you folk can see them. This gate to the other world is only visible at the darkest time of the year, just like the lost souls. Leisha played nervously with the wooden apple in her hand again, thinking about Garvin and the Banshees. She swallowed hard. Okay, so what about the Banshees? Don't they tell someone they're going to die? There's a chance they might want to bring Garvin over to the other world. The ghost fox dropped its head. A huge <laughs> sob rose in her chest. The puka stood up on its hind legs to reassure. But it's more likely they need Garvin to open the gate and help guide the lost souls through. And then? The thing is, child, I've never seen a human open a gate. The banshees always take them, and the gate stays locked. We have to hurry, then. Leisha took a deep breath, squeezing the apple puzzle in her hand. Are we far? Not far at all, it said, lifting its head. Overhead, the moon barely broke through the mist, but the cloudy night air rippled like waves filled with ghostly silhouettes, all floating in one direction. North, Leisha took off, leaping and racing again over tangles of grasping roots, but the dim light proved too much an obstacle. She gasped as she suddenly tripped, the wooden apple flying from her hand and smashing apart on the forest floor. She scooped the wooden pieces up and looked at their twisted, interlocked edges. It was broken. Garvin was gone and she was lost. The glowing throng of beings hummed above, rumbling through in the deathly silence of Quilta Nakilta. Leisha shuddered. We have to follow them, don't we? Leisha said, shoving the pieces into her pocket and wiping a tear from her cheek. The Pukaban nodded. The forest hillside crackled with electricity. As Leisha and the Pukaban raced down, spirits zipped around and through Leisha. They were close. She knew it. The almost translucent trees parted to reveal a sheltered glen. A line of closely knitted hawthorn bushes formed a dense, impassable hedge that divided the clearing in two. The spirits now flew in circles over the hedge, and Leisha understood why. In the twisted branches of the hedge, a natural arch formed over a wicker gate, and the puka barn was right. It looked like any gate. Snugly fitting into the hedge opening was a woven gate emblazoned with Celtic knots. And there were banshees. The banshees were spirit-like, as much the souls around Leisha, but the swathes of fabric that billowed around them seemed to be made of dust and yellow light, almost touchable, almost real. They howled and rushed at the circling souls as they arrived. They swarmed and screeched at the gate, and as they moved, she saw Garvin crouched on his knees. At first, she thought they had hurt him. He held himself in a tight ball, cowering under the wails that screeched in and out of tune in faint whispers and painful ear-piercing screams around him. One flew close, screaming in his face, and Garvin took a swipe at the bench. Armed with the penknife that old Mike had given him earlier, he wasn't cowering, he was working, desperately trying to saw through a wooden lock that hung on the gate. Garvin! 
Nisha shouted. He looked up, and so did the banshees. The puka ran in and scattered the banshees. Nisha ran to Garvin and squeezed him so tight that all breath left her. What are you doing here? I came to save you, Big Aegis. How can you help? You're weaker than me. I've been sawing and hacking at this lock for hours, and there's not even a mark or a dent on it. It must be enchanted or something. Show me again. Garvin's pink raw hand lifted the mahogany black lock stiffly from the gate, its surface traced with delicate patterns of leaves, berries and apples. He saw it again at the lock, then furiously jammed the keyhole with the blade. The penknife blade snapped, and Garvin hurled it away in frustration. See? We can do this, Garvin. I know we can. Leisha pulled at the lock and tried to shake the gate. It was utterly immovable. Garvin took some steps back from the gate and a banshee swooped in at him. I'm trying to open it, he shouted, batting away the taunting banshees. Then he ran at the gate, flinging himself at it with all his might, to no avail. How can a wicker gate be as solid as a stone wall? He panted desperately. Leisha glanced around the forest floor, but nothing looked strong enough to prise the gate open. A banshee swooped in, and the puka snarled its heckles upright. Leave them be. Leisha, we're running out of time and they know it. Please go. They only want one person. I don't want you stuck here. Just go. Garvin begged as a chorus of souls circled and wailed impatiently. I'm not leaving you. Come this far. Child, you must have some idea. The puka asked impatiently. If I had a key, I could open the lock. But where do I find the right key out here? Leisha called. I'm sure you have the key. If you look... Deep inside. The puka winked at her, then turned to growl at the thronging banshees clamoring round them. That's what old Mike said. Leisha died. She turned out her pocket and the root puzzle pieces that had once been a polished wooden apple tumbled out. One of these is the key. She exclaimed. Hurriedly, the children tried piece after piece in the lock. Garvin fumbled with every attempt, but Leisha was steady. One puzzle piece had the apple leaf attached to the stalk just like the pattern on the lock. It clicked in, then Leisha turned it with a satisfying clunk, and the lock popped open. All at once, the night air lost all its painful noise as Leisha unhooked the lock and pushed the gate open with the gentlest touch of her fingertips. The lost souls hung in the air, unsure of what the silence meant. One banshee rose above them all and began to sing, not a wailing dirge, but a gentle melody like raindrops in sunshine. The other banshees joined in an anthemic chorus as the first of the souls passed through the gate. As more of the souls drifted through the archway and disappeared, the mist that shrouded Quilter and the Kilter lifted. The banshee's song was sweeter but softer now, fading like the heavy fog. Leisha and Garmin said not a word, but watched in awe as the glowing parade floated from this world to the next. Alongside the Hawthorn Divide stood noble spirit animals. Were they here to honour the souls, Leisha wondered? Warm blue light from the newly risen moon spilled into the glen, making the disappearing mist almost evaporate. The moonlight cut through the branches and lit up the forest floor like day, leaving the banshees, souls and animals barely visible, a mere glitter of dust motes that lingered hinted at the dramatic events just a few moments earlier. 
Where's the puka? Leisha asked, looking around and scanning beyond the trees. It was here a minute ago, Garvin said, turned his head and checking. It's gone, said Leisha, sadly examining the very ordinary woodland scene. Even the gate had vanished, and all that remained was the natural arch of a hawthorn hedge. They're all gone. I think that's a good thing, said Garvin, reassuring Leisha. Leisha and Garvin lifted their heads to the open starry sky. I think you're right. Let's go home, Garvin. And the children left Quilt and the Kilter coated in glittering frost and sparkling in the moonlight. By the brambles, they found their basket and hurried back to Granny's cottage, passing candlelit windows and neighbours dressed as ghosts and ghouls. But Leisha wasn't afraid. Not anymore. Samhain was a celebration and she knew it. Can you smell it? Leisha said as they neared Orchard Cottage. Garvin lifted his chin, took a deep breath and smiled. Apple's hurt. The children ran all the way home. Where have you two been? I nearly had a search party out. Granny scolded, taking the basket from Leisha, kissing her on the head. Granny, there were banshees and ghosts and a pookabon. Leisha gushed. Was there now? Granny raised her eyebrows disbelievingly. Is he here? Is who here? Old Mike! Leisha said, hanging up her coat. We met him by Quilta and Quilta. I want to show him I opened the puzzle and tell him all about the gate to the other world. Oh. She paused, patting the pockets. She dropped her hand. I left it there. Who's Old Mike? Granny said, cutting two deep wedges of golden apple tart and placing them on the table. He said he's related to us, a grand nuclear cousin. He said that he was on his way here. Sure, he gave us gifts, me a penknife and Leisha a wooden apple. But we left him in the woods. Garvin said, shoving a hot fork full of tangy sweet apple tart into his mouth and then blowing with every chew. It's delicious, Granny. And he gave a thumbs up. Granny was stirring a jug of cream. But you have no granduncle or any cousin called Mike. There was only... Granny's spoon froze midair. She set the jug on the table. Granny? Asked Leisha. Granny paled a little, then pointed to a faded photograph. But never came home. Hanging amongst an array of higgledy-piggledy picture frames was a sepia photograph which Granny took off the wall and set between the children. Leisha and Garvin studied it. A square-shouldered man with a broad smile that filled his beard sat in the boat. Leisha pointed to the man's hands. He was carving something with a penknife. A wooden apple. Oh, Mike. It was before my time, but my grandfather often spoke about his older brother that was lost in a storm. It's a terrible thing to lose someone. Garvin and Leisha looked at each other. But we definitely saw him. Garvin protested. We did. Granny nodded her head gently as she smiled at the photo. More appetite for yourself, Garvin. Granny, you really did meet him. I'm sure you did. Granny said, giving Leisha a squeeze. The funny thing was my granddad swore that old Mike met a white puka once in Crete in the Kaicha, when he was about your age, Leisha. No one believed him, of course. She gave Leisha's hand a squeeze and then poured the thick cream on Garvin's tongue. While Garvin finished another slice, Leisha's eye was drawn to a flash of white by the window. Rushing to the windowsill, she stared into the October night. There, at the end of the road, as the last of the mist disappeared, she spotted the faint outline of a white fox. 
The Puka Barn waved at her and then ran off into the night. It's good he came home, said Granny, smiling at the photograph. No longer a lost soul. And she was right. I did find my way home. A Way Home is written by Olivia Hope and was commissioned by Shim Satira with the support of the Irish Arts Council and Children's Books Ireland. Sean Scandal was the narrator and played Old Mike. Mary Wallace played Granny and the Pooka Bone. Connor O'Sullivan played Garvin and Ari O'Shea played Leisha. Recorded and produced for RTE Junior Radio by Aoife O'Neill with the assistance of Nikki Coughlin. This is our RTE Junior Radio.